Well, I would have you uh, open up your Bible to a particular passage. As I said, there's not a particular passage this morning. If you missed that um, earlier in the announcements, uh, I'll just reiterate that this morning as we go to um, ordination and installation of officers, I usually like to uh, address a message to that topic and just that points us in, in that direction. We need the reminders periodically. Um, but in some cases, uh, there are some who just need to be informed about when we do this, that we'll do here in a few minutes, when we have um, officers coming up for ordination and installation, what is it that we're doing? And why is it that we're doing it? One of the reasons I think it's important to address this, I know those who've been around a long time feel like it's old news, you've heard it all before, but not everybody's been around for a long time, and one of the things that is I assume is true, uh, this is my default assumption, that for those of us who have just made our rounds within American evangelicalism, okay, that's most of us, um, that, that by default we probably have a lower view of the church and a more casual view of lots of things concerning the church, um, including things like um, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and I speak to that periodically, but also including things like church offices and ordination. And so, again, I just, I, I find some value in just speaking to those, trying to bring some clarity uh, to it in, in a fairly short, relatively brief way. But what is ordination? Let me say that first of all, and then I want to look at a number of verses that um, just give us a, a, that picture throughout the New Testament. Ordination is an act by which the spiritual authorities of the church set apart and appoint individuals to the office of ministry to which the Holy Spirit has called them. I would have put that up on the screen, but there's no quiz on this. You don't need to know this. And, the, and, the, and this is really just my own attempt to put into words what, what we're getting ready to read in the Scripture. But it's uh, the spiritual authorities of the church set apart and appoint to office those whom the Holy Spirit has called to office. And that act of ordination is typically accompanied by prayer and the laying on of hands. That's sort of just what it is. But there are, in the New Testament, there are some examples we see of that. We, in other words, we see, we, we, we read of the, the pattern of the New Testament church in that respect. We're just, it just describes the examples of uh, what that looks like in the life of the church. And then there's also explicit instruction given to ordain uh, church officers. A pattern we are to follow and a command we're to obey. We do both of those when we come to uh, this time in the cycle of our own, um, the, the life of our church here. Let me just walk us through quickly several verses in the New Testament that speak to this. I, I I thought of saying um, earlier, this is a, quite a footnote to the whole thing. I shared with a couple of elders who were praying with me earlier this morning. Just have had one of those weeks where uh, whatever 
um, the factors are that go into uh, sort of affecting my body and mind. I've, I've had foggy brain a couple times uh, this week that sort of laid me out and I'm battling that a little bit today. So if it sounds like that, it is that. Uh, so <laughs> just so you know, uh, but anyway, my, my apologies for that. But I want to walk through just uh, several verses that, again, give us glimpses of um, the what is in the life of the church or what was. Just descriptions of, uh, of, of what happened in the life of the church as people were appointed office. In Acts chapter 6, verse 6, we read uh, when the first deacons, as we think of them, were being appointed. It says, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. Acts 6, 6. As I said, um, and hopefully all these will be on the screen, you can jot down the verses and look them up later. I would even encourage you to do that. It's actually a very worthwhile study, but I'm going to go through them pretty quickly just so we see a pattern unfold. This just describes the example of the church, Acts 6, 6. Next, Acts 13, 2 and 3. This is when uh, Barnabas and Saul are being set apart for their ministry. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and set them off. First uh, Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 14, Paul writes to Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders or the presbytery, as it says in some translations, laid their hands on you. 2 Timothy 1.6 For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Picking up on a pattern there. And then we have, so that's an example we see, just a pattern uh, in the life of the church when uh, individuals were appointed to office. But then it's, in a couple of places, commanded or instructed to Titus and to Timothy as pastors of churches to appoint people to office there as well. Titus 1.5 Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I direct you, directed you. I, I left you there for that purpose, to, that you would uh, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as he had some oversight over multiple churches in that region, he was to appoint elders in every town. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 22, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. There's a message in that verse by itself, and I almost preached that message. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. But he's told there, 
in that uh, longer passage to lay hands on some and to appoint them to that office. Now, I want to observe from that quick survey of those texts just four, four aspects of calling an ordination to church office. Number one, that the call originates from the Holy Spirit. Maybe you notice that in uh, that verse from Acts chapter 13, it's stated most explicitly there uh, concerning Saul and Barnabas. But Acts 13, 2 said, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is in Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit said, you, the leaders of the church, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's interesting to note, too, this wasn't the only uh, moment at which the Holy Spirit revealed the Lord's calling on Saul. So here he says, it, quite clearly, this is the, the Holy Spirit has appointed them, has called them to that office, but you appoint them to it. But you may recall in the narrative of Paul's conversion, he was Saul, of course, and also known as Paul. But at the time of Saul's conversion, the Lord said he had a special call on his life. If you don't remember that, I'll remind you if you didn't know that, I'll tell you and you'll feel like you learned something today. But in, in Acts chapter 9, Paul, Saul is going persecuting, violently persecuting Christians. He is as adamantly opposed to Christianity, to the, the, the work of the church, to the message they're preaching, as adamantly opposed as anybody could be. He is the closest thing to a, um, a radical extremist terrorist that you'll find in, in the New Testament. And he's on his way to do more of that, and, and, and God meets him, the Lord Jesus meets him there, knocks him down, and, 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 and says, you're mine. That's a paraphrase, but that's basically it. Go into town here, and you'll get further instruction there. And in the course of that, where, where uh, Jesus is claiming Saul as his very own, he's using Ananias, this uh, devout believer, who doesn't particularly want to be used. He's heard of Saul. Saul's a violent, terrorist, extremist. And when the Holy Spirit says, hey, I'm sending this guy Saul to you, Ananias goes, hey, I've heard about Saul. I don't particularly want to, you know, I don't want this gig. And the Lord says to Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. At the, at the moment of his conversion, the Holy Spirit reveals, I have a calling for him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And in fact, Paul begins to preach immediately in Damascus. They try to kill him there. He escapes. He goes to Jerusalem. He preaches there. They, they want to kill him there too. Uh, there's a pattern. 
in Scripture as well. And, you know, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem send him off to Tarsus for a little while, essentially to escape danger. He begins preaching, but it's actually a considerable amount of time later that he's actually set apart and appointed to the office that the Holy Spirit's called him to. But all of that really is to, is to, to, to give us a glimpse of the fact that it is the Holy Spirit who calls someone to office. That's where the call originates from. But then second, the call is recognized and acknowledged by the church. The Holy Spirit originates the call, but that call is recognized and acknowledged by the church. You saw there in Acts uh, 6, 3, or I, I, don't, I actually didn't read that verse, um, read uh, verse 6 of chapter 6, where those first deacons are being called, but he says in verse 3 of that passage, and my apologies for not putting that up here on the screen, I don't think I included that, but, but he says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you, so the, the, the issue there, if you recall, is that the Hellenist widows were not being served, equitably with the Jewish widows. They, they had a, a provision for caring for the widows in their community. And the ones who were of Greek origin were not being treated as substantially, not cared for as substantially as those who were Jewish. And there was a sort of a gripe about that. And the response was, okay, you pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. This is a word to the congregation. There's a need to be met, service to be provided, and the apostles say, okay, you congregation, choose from among you seven men of good, good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, we will appoint them to the task. The congregation, the church, recognizes and acknowledges that calling by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are longer and more specific lists of qualifications than here where it just says, men of good repute and full of the Spirit and, and of wisdom. In, in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, it, it goes into more detail about what the qualifications are for those church, church offices. But almost all of them that are listed have to do with character and spiritual maturity. Godliness, in other words. And this is what the church is recognizing and acknowledging. That these individuals being appointed to office are godly people, are spiritually mature people, spiritually qualified for the task to which they're being appointed, which, which means that this process of, of selecting, ordaining, installing, appointing to office, church officers, it is nothing remotely like assembling a board of directors. We're not looking for board members like uh, any nonprofit organization would in town. 
You're not looking for people who, who, who are people of influence, movers and shakers, who can help you with things like fundraising, for example. Or we're not looking for people with specific vocational skills and experience. Not supposed to be. I know there are probably plenty of churches that do that. That start the search process going, you know what we need? We need a lawyer on session. Because, you know, there are legal issues we come across sometimes and we need somebody who can speak to those. Or we need an accountant on session. Session being, uh, if you're a visitor here, the, the, uh, the word we use for just the, uh, the elders, the body of elders that are seated and overseeing the congregation. But, the, but it's not a search process like that. And, and make no mistake, those vocational skills and experiences are almost certain to be utilized in that office. You tracking with me on that? I mean, it's hard not to. It's hard not to volunteer in some way, to serve in some way, and not use what you know from experience and the skills God has given you. It's almost certain those are going to be used. But that's not what qualifies somebody. That is not what qualifies somebody to be an elder of the church. What qualifies them is their godliness and spiritual maturity and a kind of an exemplary life as a follower of Jesus. And the church recognizes that and affirms that as a part of the calling to office. The call originates with the Holy Spirit. It's recognized by the church. And then number three, the individual is appointed to office by the spiritual authorities of the church. In the New Testament passages we were just reading, that occurred either at the local church level or at, again, sort of the what we would call the presbytery level. And again, there are... Uh, translations of the New Testament that use the word presbytery, the council of elders, that is the, uh, a community of churches where there's a, uh, a leadership, a body of oversight over a community of churches or a, uh, a family of churches. But that this, this setting apart for service happened either at the presbytery level, the local church level, in the New Testament passage that we just read. It said explicitly about Timothy, uh, it referred to the laying on of hands of the presbytery or of the council of elders. But then there are others set apart by the local church for office there. But the, 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 the point is not to get lost in those weeds, but it is to say that part of the calling and ordination of officers involved the spiritual authorities of the church recognizing what the congregation has recognized, the calling on this individual, and appointing them to that office, usually by the laying on of hands and prayer. I'll get there next. Now, part of the reason it's worth saying this out loud and observing this, because again, this is a, there's a phenomenon, I know it's present in American evangelicalism, I don't know if it is elsewhere in the world or outside of American evangelicalism, 
But the New Testament knows of no such thing as a self-appointed pastor or bishop or apostle. I mean, somebody, somebody doesn't just say, the Lord has called me to be a pastor, and therefore he is. But now there are countless people who do that. And a group of people will get together and start maybe a little Bible study, and oh, why don't we just have a church, and uh, yeah, Joe will be the pastor. Well, and, and I'm, I'm trivializing that a little bit because it's, it's not as if it's, uh, as if it's quite that simplified. But in other words, by, by, by just self-determination, somebody says, God has called me, and so I'm a pastor, and then becomes what, whatever other office uh, he might claim for himself. My point is, the New Testament knows of no such thing where um, somebody in an office of ministry doesn't come under the authority of the other spiritual authorities in the church even a mutual subjection to those who are their equals in authority. The individual is appointed to office by the spiritual authorities of the church, and that's part of what we do here when we install and ordain officers. There's more that could be said about all these. There's there's also less that could be said, you're probably thinking, and so move on. Okay, I will. Number four... Number four is that ordination, and I've really already said that, but it typically involves a laying on of hands in prayer. You, you picked up on that pattern as, as you read. Uh, it's just a description in the New Testament of what happened that doesn't make that necessarily a command, but the repeated pattern of the New Testament was that when people were appointed to office, it involved praying and laying on of hands. There's not a whole lot of explanation in the New Testament about what or why that is. What we can say is there isn't, uh, again, some necessarily mystical or supernatural thing that happens there. It is not, for example, what the uh, Catholic Church would regard as the sacrament of holy orders. We don't, we don't view ordination that way. And if you're not Catholic, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you come from a Catholic background, you have some idea, which is the only reason I mentioned that. But we don't, we don't think of it as that, that sort of sacramental impartation that by the laying on of hands, um, that somehow God works in that to then uh, equip them for you know, whatever office they're being appointed to. There's not necessarily something mystical and supernatural that happens there, in other words. There might be, as was the case with Timothy. Did you catch that? You received the gift through prophecy by the laying on of hands of the presbytery, he said. And so uh, there was something extraordinary that happened there. That's not necessarily the case, but there is typically prayer and laying on of hands that accompanies ordination. Uh, and, and that communicates something throughout the Bible of blessing and of a, a, a sort of acknowledgement of the authority that has been being given to this person. Because there are lots in the church, 
and not just the American evangelical church, but in the church down through the centuries, there are lots of people who do operate outside of um, any connection to the, the institutional church in any sense. In other words, they aren't connected to spiritual authority. They're not accountable to anybody else. They're not mutually submitted to anybody else. They, they just operate sort of out there on their own. And part of what the purpose of ordination is to do is to say those who have been given authority in the church share that authority with others. They're recognizing that this person whom the Holy Spirit has called to office, whom the congregation has acknowledged as being called and qualified for, uh, for service in the office of the church, that their, that uh, authority is being given them, shared with them, and acknowledged in them. Now, as we come then to the, the actual service of ordination and installation, I'll just say kind of in conclusion of the remarks I've just made, this is not designed, what we do here is not designed as ceremony per se. Like we haven't, we haven't set this out to be especially ceremonial, although there, there's perhaps just enough formality to it to mark it as sacred and significant. That this is not nothing. This is not trivial because this isn't just serving on a board of directors. There's something of spiritual significance to what we do here and is marked with enough formality to identify it as such. But by and large, we're obeying the New Testament command to appoint uh, uh, individuals to office, to appoint officers of the church, and to do so in a manner uh, that follows the example of the church. So that uh, tees up for now and later, again, sort of builds upon our understanding of what it is we do here and why. Well, God, we do thank you for your plan for your church. We thank you, Lord, that your plan for working on the earth is the church. Thank you, Lord, for those you raise up to leadership, for preparing them for that, for preparing their hearts to say yes at the right time. And so, Lord, we acknowledge the fitness and readiness of these men for that calling. And we bless them in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we just consecrate them to you for your service to this congregation. And Lord, share with them uh, the authority that is entailed in carrying out the duties of that office. We pray, Lord, that you would keep them close to you. Uh, Lord, that their hearts uh, would be in tune with you and not stray from you, Lord. We pray that you would grow deep in their love for this church and that that would be demonstrated in their service to them. Lord, empower them, fill them with your spirit, give them all that they need 
to do well uh, the, the task that you've called them to here today. In Jesus' name, amen.